Friends, it's great to be with you today. Uh, just a reminder of who I am. I know I've been here a few times. My name is Pastor Joe Robb. I serve as the assistant to President Lang uh, down at the district office. And so uh, classmates with uh, Pastor Dave, uh, all the way from Concordia, Irvine, and through the seminary. And so uh, I know him well. I know his wife. And uh, I'm excited to be here and to be able to give him some time uh, to spend with his family uh, in some much-needed vacation and respite. Um, and uh, it's been a hard season for all of our pastors. It has been difficult. As you can imagine, it's difficult for all of us, but especially here in California, uh, where the world doesn't seem to have much use uh, for Jesus. Um, nobody really wants to hear the good news. Nobody wants to take us seriously. Nobody wants to take pastors seriously. Um, some of your church people have left. Um, some are still online, and so we're grateful that you're with us this morning. Um, some are afraid to come back, and that's okay. We'll, we'll figure this out. Um, but for pastors who have tried to learn what Zoom is, have tried to learn how to broadcast things, how to make sure you guys could get communion and you were being fed, uh, I'm so grateful for the men who serve, but it is taking its toll on our pastors. And so thank you for your grace and your generosity uh, with allowing Pastor Dave to spend some time uh, with his family uh, refreshing for this new season. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious God, as we gather here today, we gather to talk about one of your greatest gifts, the gift of your spirit, through the waters of baptism. Father, as we gather here today, we, we look at the life that you have called us to, one that is set apart, one that is holy, one is redeemed, one that is made new, only because you allow it to be so. So, Father, thank you for loving us despite our own brokenness, despite our own sinfulness, our own stubbornness, our own selfishness. And thank you for sending Jesus into this world, that despite our own messed upness, that you would love us and value us and give us a purpose to go out and proclaim your good news to other people. It's in Jesus' name I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Rock, our Redeemer and Lord. Amen. I had the privilege of serving at a church that was the largest church in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Senate, 8,000 members. On a normal weekend, we would look at having about 2,500 to 4,000 people. It was unique. It was different. You start to understand what, what Jesus meant when he talked about in the Gospels, that there was his disciples, then there were the followers, and then there was the crowd that kind of just came around to see what was happening. Right? In a place that big, you had the crowd. People who you saw, they came, they didn't engage, they just sort of moved on with their life. But one of the things that they always wanted us to do is baptize their kids. Right? It's the Midwest. You either grew up Lutheran or you grew up Catholic, and so you went to the Lutheran church because the Catholic church would require you to take all these courses. The Lutheran church would say, of course we'll baptize. And so we'd have all these families that would come in. Sometimes there'd be four or five families, and it was wonderful to be a part of, and it was also really frustrating because you'd never see these people again. And so it didn't sit right with me. But I got to be part of a lot of incredible baptisms, and the good news about our God is he allows broken people and ordinary people like myself to use ordinary means like water combined with the all-powerful name of Jesus to bring people into the family of God. And as I started looking at some of these things, I started recalling, as I saw the text for today from Romans chapter 6, and I started thinking about what was it like to baptize all those kids. Now, I've seen some very interesting baptisms, as you can imagine. I'm sure if you've been around the church long enough, you have too. I mean, you got the kid who poops himself right before the baptism, and so you have to delay it till later in the service because the mom's in the, in the room changing a diaper. 
I've had them where there's actually been a straight blowout, and so the baby's up there naked. I mean, with a diaper on. Let's keep it PG here. I've had it where the kids cry, which I just tell the parents, that's okay, that's the demons coming out. That means it's working, which isn't biblical, but I like it. I've had it where the God parents and sponsors don't respond yes with the help of God, so you have to kind of say, you know why you're up here, right? (laughs) I've had all sorts of different experiences, but I can tell you that one of the greatest joys I have is understanding that God used me, a broken person, to accomplish something incredible. I know people that thought it was so important to have their baby video baptized that they would walk up in the middle of it while I was baptizing a kid, which was not okay, and they would just videotape it right in front of me. So we had to make a rule that says you can videotape all you want, but you need to make sure both of your legs are touching the pew, and you need to be sitting down. I've had people put a GoPro waterproof camera at the bottom of the basin. I mean... This is big stuff. It's important stuff, but it's, it's just an indicator of how important it is to these people that their kid be baptized. And so I've experienced some baptisms. I'm sure you've experienced some baptisms too, and sometimes that you've gone through a church service and thought, wow, that was really interesting. That was really neat. That was great. I can't believe that kid just went from being a creature of creation to a child of God. And we celebrate In fact, back in the Midwest, this was the most bizarre thing to me ever. Anytime a kid would get baptized, they would have a huge party at the house. And they would always invite me to the party. And it was always, as soon as you walked in the door, the most interesting thing, because it was brunch or it was lunch. But there was always a keg of beer or a case of beer. Like, this is the Midwest. This is how we celebrate. It was a party. They saw this, the baptism of a child as the same as the 4th of July. And sometimes I thought, this is really neat that they would celebrate such a great thing, but then sometimes I would think, like, maybe they're missing the point here, and it's just a ritual, and people are getting together to celebrate. But nevertheless, make no exception. People wanted pictures of the event. People wanted to celebrate the event and people were excited about the event. And as a church, we are excited about every single baptism that happens because it is a commitment of the parents to make sure that these children are raised by God and raised in God's home. Now, when we baptize, we also say the Bible also tells us to teach everyone that they obey what Jesus has commanded. So that's where the parents have to step in, and that's where the godparents have to step in, and that's where the church has to step in and make sure that we're not just giving these people a get-out-of-jail-free card, but we're actually walking with them. We're growing their child in the faith so that they can become a champion of the faith. So as we look at baptism, I think we oftentimes focus on the joys of baptism because there are so many joys of baptism. There are so many great things that happen in baptism So let's talk about some of those things, because Kristen's right. It's been a while from some of our confirmation classes. So when we have a baptism, we get to celebrate a few things. One, we get to see the child go from a creature of creation, and in that moment, by God's amazing mystery, we get to see that child become a child of God. So creature of creation coming to church that day, 
by the time they leave, they are marked and set apart as a child of the Most High God. Now we celebrate that because when you become a child of God, you have rights that you get when you become a child of God. One, you get to call God Father. And this isn't like our earthly fathers who mess up and make mistakes. This is our godly father who always does what's in the best interest of us. He always provides for his children. He always cares for his children. He always protects his children. And so as a child of God, understand you have a right to call God Father that the rest of the world does not understand or have the right to do. We also pray and we know that our Father hears us. So we can come to our Father with petitions and with, with concerns and with thanksgivings and we can pray to him and we know that he will hear us. He promises to hear his children cry. That's an incredible right that the rest of the world doesn't have. We also have the right to enter into his house. No matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what's going on, you can come to a place like this and hear the words of forgiveness spoken over you. You are always welcomed in the house, and you are always welcome at the dinner table of our Father, which we'll celebrate here in a few minutes, where you once again get to not only hear the words of forgiveness, but get to see and smell and taste and feel the body and blood of Jesus in, with, and under the bread. That's an incredible right. I know there's things I could do in my family that would get me kicked out of my parents' house. That I could mess up enough, that I could be stubborn enough, that I could go my own selfish way, that I could have my own strong opinion on something, and my parents would say, why don't you just stay home for Thanksgiving this year? You're no longer welcome here. Not with our Father. Our Father welcomes you. He opens his doors to you, and he invites you in no matter where you've been, what you've done, or what's going on in your life. These are incredible rights. Now, with great rights becomes great responsibilities as well. So once you're a child of God through the waters of baptism, you also have some rights, but you also have some responsibilities. One, you're called to live as a child of God. A friend of mine always used to say, Every time his kids left the house, remember who you are and remember whose you are. <laughs> Maybe you've had that conversation with kids before. When you go out, you don't just represent you, you represent our entire family. Your workplace feels the same way about you, by the way. My workplace does too. When I'm on the road, I'm not just out there living for Joe, I'm out there representing the California, Nevada, Hawaii district. With God, it's the same thing. So we're called to live lives that are set apart, that shouldn't look like our neighbors, that shouldn't look like our friends who don't know Jesus, who don't have a father that they can call upon at any time. We also have the responsibility to join Jesus in his mission, the Missio Dei, the mission of God, to seek and to save the lost. Not to come condemn people, but to seek and to save them, to bring them to know who Jesus is. This is a responsibility that we have as children of God. We also have not only a right to enter the house of God, we have a responsibility to be part of a church, <laughs> a responsibility to worship our God, to thank him, to praise him. We also have a responsibility to live out the one another's in the Bible. If you're not familiar with those, Google it when you get home. Biblical one another's. A list of not suggestions, but commands and mandates like love one another, care for one another, greet one another with a holy kiss. <laughs> That one's a little weird nowadays. 
Don't do that till COVID's over. But we also receive an inheritance, an inheritance that we get to taste a little bit now, but an inheritance that we will one day experience fully when we enter into the house of the Lord and become members of the heavens with the Father, Jesus, and all who have called upon his name. And so we have this great inheritance. So that's why we celebrate. Plenty to celebrate in baptism. That's why we do it. Because God loves us despite where we come from. Despite the fact that even as a child, you can come to the font and not have a clue what happened to you. And the only thing we know is that when you're leaving the font, your hair might be a little more wet. But on the inside, your life has been changed forever. Reason to celebrate. But we kind of gloss over our passage from today when we talk about baptism. Because I've never seen anybody even mention the celebration of the fact that this kid just died spiritually. Right? We want to focus on the joys. We want to focus on the end results. But let's focus on the process for just a few minutes here. Romans 6 that we read earlier tells us that do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. I have never seen a mother weep at the baptismal font because they understood or comprehended or in that moment thought about the fact that their child was spiritually dying in that place. And I think if we just focus on the end results and the celebration, we get to experience the joys and we get the definite benefits that God gives us, but we also miss something in understanding how it is that our God works, how it is that our God unifies us into death with Jesus so that, good news, we can inherit the kingdom of God and we can raise up with him just as Jesus raised up. There's a passage that I want to focus on a little bit today. And it's a passage that isn't necessarily a baptism passage, but I think it can really paint a picture of what we can see in our baptism. And maybe next time when you see a baptism, you'll get to experience a little bit more what this death might look like. It's a story of the Old Testament prophet Jonah. We're all familiar with Jonah? Maybe not. Jonah got called by God to go to Nineveh to bring them the harsh news of the reckoning of God. And Jonah said, I ain't going to do that. Jonah says what I would say. (laughs) Nope. And God says, Jonah, you're going to Nineveh. And he said, no, I'm not. And so Jonah gets swallowed into the belly of a fish, right? And if you've seen Pinocchio, you know that's a scary thought. That's a very outdated thing from my childhood, but anyway. Jonah gets swallowed into the belly of a fish because he refuses to do what God has called him to do. And so God says, you're going to Nineveh, and the fish swallows him up and then puts him in Nineveh. It's one of these amazing stories that we don't understand how it could work, but hey, we also believe in the resurrection of the dead, don't we? And we believe in the virgin birth and the resurrected Christ. This is one of those stories where only God could orchestrate this. 
And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish for coincidentally how long? Three days and three nights. Our God doesn't work on coincidences. God is showing us early on about what it looks like for Jesus to come and to be, to be held down in place where he can't survive for three days and three nights. And Jonah's in there for three days and three nights, and we get this incredible prayer that I love in Jonah chapter 2. We're going to some weird spots in the Old Testament today, but this is what I think is the best image of baptism that I can find in Scripture and has really nothing to do with baptism. It has everything to do with understanding how God can kill us and make us alive. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of a fish, saying this, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. Out of the belly of the dark place, hell, I cried. And you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All the waves and all your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over to take my life, and the deep it surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, and yet you brought up my life from the pit, oh my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and the prayer came to you, into your holy temple. Those who paid regard to vain idols, forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. The image of Jonah being stuck in the sea where he's being dragged down and seaweed wrapped around his head, anchored at the bottom of a mountain, and bars came over him and kept him in, and yet the God heard his cries for mercy and grace and forgiveness and love and raised him up out of that. That's what happens in our baptism. We go under the water, and yes, it's just a little bit of a sprinkling. You go to some other churches, they'll hold you down if they think you deserve it, just so you don't lose this imagery. And yet our God says, wash and you will be clean. And he says, just use ordinary water, which is the most accessible thing in the world, and says, here's the deal. Go out and, and come and be baptized. But understand, when you become baptized, what happens is you are literally dying for a split second in a place you can't live. My cousin will not eat fish. He doesn't like fish. He doesn't like the way it smells. He says if the best thing you can say about it is it doesn't taste fishy, then you probably shouldn't be eating it. And I said, why don't you eat fish? He says, I have no concern for fish. I can't live in their world. They can't live in my world. I don't think God wanted us connected. That's weird. But here's the deal. We cannot live under the water. We cannot survive underwater for very long unless you have some sort of apparatus that will keep you alive. And so water is this place where we actually get flooded and we get drowned and we die spiritually so that our God can reconcile us and raise us back up. There has to be a cost of our sin. And our God from a very early age says, I can pay for it. 
Jesus already paid for it. My favorite part of the prayer from Jonah is the next verse that comes right after he prays, right? He prayed, God, you have saved me. You have relieved me. Here's the deal. The very next thing is one of my favorite passages in all in Scripture. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. <laughs> Great imagery. You've held him for three days and three nights. He's understood how he was about to die, how close he was to not surviving, and yet the fish vomits him onto dry land. And then Jonah goes willingly to serve the Lord in the way that he had called him to be. In our baptism, that is the image I want you to take away. When even a little child comes to be baptized, in that moment they are dead, spiritually buried with Christ so that they can rise again. So that we have been crucified with our old self that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we are no longer enslaved to sin for one has died to set us free from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we will live with him also. You want to talk about the joys and the celebrations of baptism. It's very important we understand what exactly the process we went through. Though it only takes a moment, the effects will last in eternity. And because we have been baptized and dead with Christ, we are therefore allowed to live with Christ and seek that inheritance that he calls us to. In 1 Peter chapter 3, Peter talks about that we should always have a reason for the joy that we have. Maybe you've heard this saying, maybe you've, uh, you've been to an evangelism class or a new member class, or maybe you've seen it, um, I mean, it might be on one of these words here because it's very popular. But he says this, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that you have in you. Do it with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to share the reason that you have hope. Now, what I find is interesting is we kind of take that verse out of context and we just say, so what's your reason? Right? But if we actually look at what Peter writes, we don't have to go too much further. It's in the next paragraph. He says, for Christ, offered for Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey. When God's patience waited in the days of Noah, when the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water, baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not from the removal of dirt, but from the body, but as an appeal to God, for good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have. Boom. Look at baptism. 
You want a reason for the hope that you have? Because God took you at whatever age it was. He took you from being a creature of creation, whether you knew what was going on or not, and he put you to death in the font, and he lifted you up and vomited you onto dry land, and now he has called you to serve him joyfully with all the rights, the responsibilities, and the inheritance that awaits you. Friends, the hope you have in Jesus is only given to you by the Holy Spirit who now resides in you through the waters of baptism. Though you didn't deserve it, though you were once far off, though you were once an enemy of God, the Bible tells us, now you're called to live. You're redeemed. You're a child of God with a heavenly Father who welcomes you no matter what and will welcome you home on that final day, put his arms around you, place that crown of life on your head and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Baptism, an incredible gift, an incredible outcome, but a very incredible process that we oftentimes don't talk about. May your hope be strengthened this day as you go into 2022, living as a better child of God, more assured of your salvation than ever before. It's in Jesus' name I pray it. Amen.